So good morning again, and um, thank you for joining us at Renew, and excited to continue on in our series and Psalm 23. So if you are able to stand for the reading of God's word, please do so, and we're going to read all of Psalm 23 again. And it reads, the Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. He lets me rest in green meadows. He leads me beside peaceful streams. He renews my strength. He guides me along right paths, bringing honor to his name. Even when I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid for you are close beside me. Your rod and your staff protect and comfort me. You prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemies. You honor me by anointing my head with oil. My cup overflows with blessings. Surely your goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all of the days of my life, and I will live in the house of the Lord forever. Brief prayer. God, thank you again for this time that we have to come and gather, and we just thank you for your word. We thank you for this church and the other churches that worship you, Lord, and we pray for their service. Thank you that we are just one small part of your kingdom, and we just pray that we continue to grow in faithfulness uh, through your spirit, Lord. Thank you for the time of worship through music, and now worshiping you through your word, and we just are people of, that are thankful. So Lord, as we continue on in this series, we pray that you speak to us, prepare our hearts to receive your word, whatever you want me to say, I say, and whatever you don't, we don't. We'll be careful to give you all the glory and praise. In Jesus' name, amen. You may have a seat. So one of the goals that I felt led to when considering this series was to focus in on King David's intimacy with God. And again, King David is the author of Psalm 23 and many of the Psalms that we read. And what struck me is how can this warrior king, King David, a man's man, if you will, who had great sin in his life, who is called by God, a man after his own heart, after God's own heart, who not only battled giants and enemies of the nation, but also he wrote poetry and sang songs to the Lord and wrote psalms. And even if you read through the Old Testament, there are many times where he's so excited for the Lord, he's jumping up and down not fully clothed necessarily, but he's so excited. And many times he's jumping up and down before a great battle in front of his men to raise up a praise. He's so joyful. This man, King David, who went from boy shepherd to a great king, from a great king to a fugitive, from a fugitive to a father grieving over the death of his son to his baby, to feuding family members, then to great victories, to awful defeats, to highs and lows. How does someone who have such a twisty roller coaster up and down life sit down later on in his life and write Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd? And seeing this theme throughout Psalm 23, seeing that he's clinging to the Lord and the recognition that 
when he wasn't clinging to the Lord, when he wasn't hand in hand with the Lord, he would run back to him. A man who's experienced life. I mean, if, I, if we all took time to do an interview, you could probably say some highlights and lowlights. I know in my family, many times what we do for dinner is we say highlights and lowlights, and we share what a highlight and a lowlight of our week, of our day, or whatever it is. And um, what's interesting is you can already tell immediately on the faces of whoever's sharing if it's going to be a highlight they share first or a lowlight. It doesn't take much once you know someone well. They don't have to use words to describe what's going on. You can see it all over their face. And really, I, I, Psalm 23 is like that. You, you see the up and down. I mean, Psalm 23, if you want to get technical, is written in three forms. He talks about the Lord, the Lord. And then he goes on, he says, he, and then you, and then you can see mine. He's seeing this theme, this recognition, this man who's experienced life. And if you go through, and if it's been a while since you've read about King David, I advise you to. It's a great story. It's a sad story. It's a wonderful story. It's life. It's real life. And again, if I interviewed you, you could probably say ups and downs and highlights and lowlights. But really, perhaps, I know for me, um, just the experience of Psalm 23 over these last several weeks, and we have several more to go. And perhaps some of you, during the announcement of the series or right when we start, let me just ask you, and you don't have to raise your hand because this is not very endearing, unless you really want to. Who here at the very start, whenever I announce, and I don't feel this is a personal attack because this is really me. I haven't mentioned this in a while, but whenever I preach a sermon... I'm preaching to me, and then I look up and say, oh, yeah, there's people here. That's what the week's been. But going back to this, when you heard that we were going to go through Psalm 23, anyone here immediately go to funerals? Anyone here go immediate to life? Anyone deep down inside thought, how in the world are we going to spend this much time on Psalm 23? Anyone get confused whenever I read from the NLT and whenever you were reciting it from memory, you were going New King James, maybe King James? <laughs> I'm very proud of myself. This is the first time that I read it without trying to do memory, so I didn't say, well, anyways, you'll see. What about this? Whenever I, whenever I, whenever God called you a sheep and I pointed it out, anyone get offended? Anyone agreed immediately and thought, yep, I'm a sheep? Anyone thought that they weren't a sheep because they've come to Christ and thought you were a sheep only before then? See, I felt all of these emotions and descriptions all up and down and, and considering this. And, and really, if, uh, just to, to be completely honest, whenever I sat down and I was breaking down and I have mentioned that most of the thought process comes from that little book from uh, Phillips who excuse me, from Philip Keller, who, who wrote The Shepherd's View of Psalm 23. When I, when I got to the part, he leads me beside peaceful streams or calm waters or peaceful waters, depending on your translation. This is about six weeks ago. I thought this is going to be the most difficult one for me. I won't tell you the second most difficult one until it comes. 
And, and it's not because it sounds just like what we talked about last week. If you were here, he lets me rest in green meadows, which some of it applies. <laughs> but really, peaceful streams and, and thinking, I, I don't know if you know this about me or if you experience this, but I'm a fidgety person. That's why some person asked me why I don't walk around on the stage like some people do. I don't trust myself, to be completely honest. So I hold on tight. And, and well, never mind. I just, I'll leave it there. I hold on tight. I tether myself to the pulpit is the description that I was given in my second day in preaching class. You hold on. Are you scared? No, I just don't trust. But the peacefulness, it's, I'm fidgety. I, I, I can find peace in doing something. Anyone find peace in doing something and not peace just sitting there? Is there anyone of my people here? Thank you. All right. Um, but to consider what, what King David meant when he said he leads me beside peaceful streams or calm waters or peaceful waters. Really at the heart of this series, it's really, I really wanted to see and experience how King David positioned himself for the intimacy of God, to experience it. So whenever the Lord is, whenever he, he describes him as rest and peace to experience that. And really, if I could interview King David, I would ask, so what was your experience at these streams? And what does it mean to you with your life up and down? And, and I've, I've, I'm a sinner, saved by grace for sure, but I've not committed any of the sins, the big grievous sins that David has. So how did he do that? And really, perhaps earlier on in my walk with the Lord, I always thought, well, how can a man be called a man after God's own heart and all this? And then as you grow in maturity, you realize it's because of the grace and mercy of God. So what does it mean now that we're here? He leads me by still waters or calm waters. Why still waters? Not waters that are moving, not waters that are raging, not waters... Why peaceful waters? Why still waters? And the answer is, if we keep with the, the theme, Keller points out, Philip Keller in his book points out, that sheep are afraid of water that moves. And if you really want to, I don't know if anyone looked at how shepherds lay down the sheep on YouTube, but if you want to see sheep scared, they're scared whenever they're by water. It's the most hilarious thing. I probably spent way too much time laughing at sheep this week. But they're so scared of moving water, they will not drink from water that is moving. They, so that means the shepherd must dig a channel or put rocks to block any water that's moving because the sheep are so afraid. And they're afraid for a great many reasons. One, because um, with their wool... If they lean in, the water could grab, they soak up, they become a huge sponge, fall into the water and drown. What a sheep. <laughs> but they're scared. They will not drink. They, they're too scared. So, and many times, even the younger lambs, uh, the description is that the shepherd has to go and fill up channels separately by hand with a bucket because they will stay as far away 
from this stream. So why would David write this? And if we are sheep, we are called sheep many times. There's references over 200 times in the Bible of sheep, not directly related to people. Half of that is to the people. And maybe we might get hung up. I don't think I'm scared of raging water, but I do tell you that I remember as a kid getting pulled out in the middle of the ocean being scared to death. So is that what he's talking about? But I'm not supposed to drink from this water at the beach. So this is a bit confusing for us, perhaps. But really what David is saying, and he's illustrating here, is that shepherds, the good shepherd, the Lord is my shepherd, makes a way to calm the waters so I can drink to bring about peace. Essentially, he's transitioning to the ministry of the Holy Spirit in our lives. See, David probably wrote this psalm, Psalm 23, during the time when Absalom's rebellion, Absalom is his son, and one day David's son had mounted an attempt to take over the kingdom, and David wasn't prepared for it. And all of a sudden, this rebel army led by his son comes and marches into Jerusalem, which forces David out. And he's running, and he's caught off by surprise. To flee. He had been resting. It had been a comfortable time in Jerusalem. Doesn't that just sound like he just got done resting in green meadows and then all of a sudden up and going? So imagine how David felt when his own son seized the capital city and David was running for his life. And David took refuge in a remote village in Meherem, which then later on is in Gedi, and we'll talk about that in a moment. And it's here that he writes Psalm 23. I don't know about you. I don't know if any of you journal or write down your note thoughts in notebooks or whatever. But whenever things are terrible, especially if there's a feud, my first thought isn't, I'm going to sit down and pin this great psalm. But this is where he writes it. This is where he goes back to his days as a shepherd and seeing how the Lord has shepherded him. And again, shepherds know when it comes to drinking water, that these sheep are scared. And he knows that he obviously needs water as he's running into this desert. And the fact is, is he's sitting down and he's recording this. So real quick, the Hebrew translation of still waters could be translated to stilled waters or pieced waters. I know that doesn't translate well to English pieced but it's the process of putting still waters into peace. Essentially, it's saying the rough waters has been calmed and stilled. So imagine, again, this shepherd comes out. There's a moving stream. He comes and digs out this trench, and the water sits there so the sheep can drink. It's not only that the water is still. It's the shepherd is the stealer of the water, the calmer of the water, and I know that's bad English, but that's transliteration from Hebrew. So do you see the twofold meeting already? The need for the water to be still so we can drink it, not just get wet or drown from it. But the shepherd who can bring us the water and calm it is actually the calmer of the storm. Now, where does that sound familiar? When you think of rough water and the good shepherd calming the rough waters, what story do you go to mind? comes to mind. Jesus calming the storm. Mark 4, 39. Uh, when after the, uh, 
the disciples are scared. They say, don't he doesn't even care. And then they wake him up. And then verse 39 of Mark 4, 39 says, when Jesus woke up, he rebuked the wind and said to the waves, silence, be still. Suddenly the wind stopped and there was a great calm. Or you can translate it in the very same way that David wrote in Psalm 23. He told the storm, he being Jesus, be at peace. Or become peaceful streams. So now we've transitioned. Let's just read the first three or two verses of Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. We talked about that. Who is the Lord? Everyone has a Lord of their life. And ideally, it's Jesus who is our shepherd. The shepherd is the one who cares for us. Then I have all that I need. I'm content. He lets me rest in green meadows or he makes me lie down in green meadows. So the Lord is my shepherd. David is recognizing I'm going through this hard time, but the Lord is still my shepherd and I am content. And he lets me rest in green meadows. And we talked last week about the importance of having a Sabbath. Side note, anyone take a Sabbath this week? Anyone really meant to? Here's a question. Anyone weaponize it against your parents or your spouse? That's specifically for three of you who told me that. (laughs) My aim is to take Bible verses and twist them up and cause conflict in your home. Just kidding. Anyone spend that time lying down in green meadows and resting in the Lord? Anyone find that hard? Anyone became a little legalistic over it? See, with King David, what he's doing is he's running away from his son. This is not his first battle, but it's his first battle against his son. That's tough. So now he's saying, the Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. I'm very content. He's let me rest in green meadows. It's not just now that I have a Sabbath, now that I'm resting in the Lord. We talked about the reasons why sheep won't lie down. They're hungry, they're scared, there's pesticides or there's conflict with sheep. But he's saying he's laying down in green meadows. And now he transitioned and he says, he leads me besides peaceful streams. So first he makes me lie down. Remember that description pushing the dogs we're in to lie down. And now he's leading me. Now that, that, that word picture is he's made me rest And now the shepherd is walking away and says, follow me. Now, what is our tendency? To stay rested in the rest position. I don't know about you, but when I go on vacation, I never want to come home. Ever. Especially if it's just Natalie and I and the kids are not with us. (laughs) But now David is recognizing and he's transitioning and he's saying he leads me. So if something is leading you, what must you do? Follow. Now notice this isn't forced. The resting is forced. The leading is the sign of maturity that we're following. He leads me to still waters. Or perhaps a better translation, he leads me to peace. So if you are honest and you just want to lie down and you rest and you just want to sleep in every day and perhaps you had a taste of having a good restful day, a Sabbath day, a good start off to your day of being in the Lord. And you just think, I want this every day. And see, we haven't even worked yet. You notice that David says he hasn't worked yet. He hasn't even mentioned yet of any enemies. He's still focusing on the Lord. 
He says, but we have to be led to peace. And again, that's why, to be honest, you can go on vacation and not have peace. You can take a few days off and not have peace. And here's the visual illustration of being led to still waters in the Bible. I'm going to read from 1 Samuel 24, 1 through 5. And this is well before uh, David has fleed, but let me read 1 Samuel 24, verse 1 through 5. It says, after Saul returned from fighting the Philistines, side note, here's the background. Saul was pursuing David. He was getting closer and closer to David. Then he gets word that the Philistines are attacking again. So Saul takes his whole army, leaves David, and then goes and attack. And now he's returning. So after Saul returned from fighting the Philistines, he was told that David had gone into the wilderness in in Gedi. So Saul chose 3,000 elite troops from all of Israel and went to search for David and his men near the rocks of the wild goats. At the place where the road passes some sheepfolds, Saul went into a cave to relieve himself. But as it happened, David and his men were hiding further back in this very cave. So here's a picture I think that I have of En Gedi, of the caves maybe. There it is. So if you notice, so this is in Gedi, and this is real close to the Dead Sea, and you can't see it real well, but you see the dark spots and the rocks. Those are all caves. There's something like 10,000 caves there. I didn't stand there and count them all, but there's a lot of caves there. So as David is fleeing and running away in En Gedi, is one of those caves, one of 10,000 caves. And it just so by chance, if you will, Saul went in to go potty in that very cave. In verse 4, picking up at 1 Samuel 24, 1 through, or verse 4, excuse me, it says, now, now is your opportunity, David's men whispered to him. Today the Lord is telling you, I will certainly put your enemy into your power to do with as you wish. So David crept forward, cut off a piece of his hem of Saul's robe. And we'll stop there. We won't read the whole story. So why was David in a cave? He was running for his life. But if we go to the next picture of En Gedi, so hopefully in a year's time or so when we go to Israel, we'll, we'll hopefully, Lord willing, go on this trail. But that, these caves, to the next picture, will lead to this. So these caves. So the sheep would go and drink from that water. And what do you notice about that water? It's not moving, but there's a waterfall. The reason why is there's so many rocks down below. It slows down the current, and now there's still waters. So David was there at complete peace, but then hiding in a cave. How do you have complete peace when you're hiding? How do you have calm waters, like En Gedi shows here, when someone's trying to get you when you're going through it? It's because the water itself is not calm. It's the person who brings the calm. That's why when Jesus says, come on and follow me, he's, he's saying, come follow me. He's leading me. He leads me by still or quiet waters. He is leading. Christ is leading not to the still waters. He's leading to himself. In that recognition that when Christ says, here, come follow me and I'll lead you to still waters, he's saying, I will lead you to myself. In that moving waters, that's why in John 4, verse 10 through 15, 
The great story Jesus replied to the Samaritan woman, the woman at the well, if only you knew the gift God has for you and who you are speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. The living water can be translated to peaceful still waters. But sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket. She said, and this well is very deep. Where would you get this living water? And beside, do you think you're greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave us this well? How can you offer better water than he and his sons and his animals enjoyed? Jesus replied, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Please, sir, the woman said, give me this water then I'll never go thirsty again, and I won't have to come here to get water. He offers this living water. He offers this peaceful water. He offers this peace that we can't describe. You know, I was considering this when David was hiding in in the caves, and he had done so for many years of his life. He didn't spend his whole time down at the watering hole. Then how did he have peace? by the person of Christ. But if we consider the still waters for a moment, a little bit further, the description that's given in in the book by Keller, Philip Keller, he describes the most perfect still water that, that the sheep could ever drink is the dew drops in the morning before the sun rises. He describes this as this is the perfect representation, and in all actuality, the best drink the sheep can have. He goes on to describe, in the cooler months, when the water doesn't freeze, sheep can go many days without drinking from a stream simply by living off the dew drops in the morning. And again, the dew on the grass is the best and purest form of water because the water is not rough. It is 100% filtered and it's available. And he describes it as all the sheep have to do is look at their feet. Now, I don't know about you, but whenever I'm not at peace, I'm always looking forward and ahead to something better, but never in my surrounding. So what is it for us when we are hoping for this peace, we're hoping to be led by... clear waters. What is the problem? Here's two problems at least that I have. One, we'll discuss later, is unmet expectations. I expect God to do something other than what he says he will do. And the second, and I don't know which one's worse, is taking shortcuts to peace. Jeremiah 2.13 describes this in Jeremiah. He says, for my people have done two evil things. They have abandoned me, the fountain of the living water, or peaceful water, or still water, and they have dug for themselves cracked chisms that can hold no water at all. It's shortcuts. Keller describes that whenever he's taking out his sheep in the middle of the hot day, he sometimes as he calls it, the dumb sheep will stop and drink the water out of the hoof print just because it's easier. The still waters is only a few feet away, but these sheep of mine drink the mud 
So just consider this a difficulty of life. You're going on a hike. When would be the best time to bring water with you? From home. In the morning before you leave. Have you ever went on a hike? <laughs> I'm sure you guys aren't as dumb as I am. Have you ever gone on a hike and think, oh, I don't need any water. I'm only going to do a mile. And next thing you know, you're two miles in because you got lost. <laughs> Loser. And then you think, man, I sure could use a glass of water now. When are you at, when do you feel most thirsty? When there's no water in sight. So that goes into the correlation of the dew in the morning. Now, again, I don't want to be legalistic about it. And I had spent a lot of time researching and looking at when is the best time to spend time with the Lord? And it's all over the place. The majority of people suggest first thing in the morning. First thing in the morning, you wake up, the, the description is the dew drops. Before you leave your house, you are prepared. You don't want to look for your source of encouragement out in your morning routine, beyond your morning routine. The other description is the best time of your day. So anyone here hate the mornings but stay up late? Anyone good between like 2.30 and 3.30? So if we are supposed to give the best fruits to God, our first fruits or best fruits to the storehouse, and not just tithes and offerings, but the best part of our day, when is the best part of your day? When are you most awake? When do you get the most done? For some, that's early in the morning. And chances are you probably married someone who's exactly opposite of you. But really, when is the best time of your day? I know I've mentioned this before, and I brought this up at Life Group, at the Young Adult Life Group. Just One of the things that I do is I do read Scripture in the morning, and that's, to be completely honest, because of routine that was instilled in me long ago. And, and I know this is not true, you're not going to want me to be your pastor anymore. I know this isn't true, but in the back of my mind, I think that if I read the scripture in the morning, yes, it will satisfy me, yes, but it's also in the back of my mind, it's a checklist. I'm the firstborn, I'm the classic, I have to get it done. Any firstborns in here that can identify it? Thank you. And I will do this, no questions asked. So I've created this test for myself because I'm weird. So I'll, I'll read. So this year, instead of reading through the Bible, I had mentioned, I'm just reading through Psalm now, nice and slow, which is annoying for people who like to get a lot of things done, nice and slow. But later on, sometime around lunch, I asked myself this question, what did you read this morning? And what did God say to you? Last week, I gave you some pointers, perhaps, if when you're reading scripture is, who do you see in the scripture, God, the Holy Spirit, or Jesus? And what does the scripture say about man? And then what does it say about you? So if I can't answer one of those questions, I know that I read the scripture or listened to the scripture, very legalistic, just to check a box. Because if I want this true peace, if, I, if God is saying, all right, I'm going to make you lie down, and now I'm going to lead you to still waters, if he's leading me, that means I'm following him all the way to the drink. So that's just a test. I don't know what it looks like for you. So here's a test. If you see me in the middle of the day, ask me what I read. <laughs> but he leads. 
And do I want it? So when is the best time? What does your best fruits look like? See, the thing is, is David also knew in his sin what it meant not to be led by, by Christ, not to be led by God. I don't think I have the scripture down. I was considering this earlier this morning. But if you're taking notes, it's from 2 Samuel 11. And 2 Samuel 11 is probably familiar with David. It's when David has an affair with Bathsheba. But I want to just point out the first verse. 2 Samuel 11, verse 1. In the spring of the year, when kings normally go out to war, David sent Joab and the Israelite army to fight the Ammonites. They destroyed the Ammonite army and they laid siege to the city of Rabbanon. However, David stayed behind in Jerusalem. You see the problem there? In the spring of the year, when kings normally go out to war, when they are normally being led by God, when they normally are supposed to do the things that they're supposed to do, he stayed back, and if you keep reading it, he took a midday nap, and he woke up and he saw Bathsheba. So being led is a continual walk with Christ. It's not just to one watering hole or the next. It's the continuing pursuit. Because what, what I've noticed at least is while God is leading, he's always on the move. And he's always inviting me to come and follow along. Now going back to the shortcuts again, considering what Keller wrote, he, would, he described it as this, these dumb sheep of mine, when they stop and drink of the mud, don't they know the parasites that are in the water? We think, they think drinking any water is better than the water that I'm leading. And then he'd go on and in his sermons he would talk. It's almost as if the kids who are crying in the back of the car, are we there yet? And perhaps the most dangerous places to drink water is not in the form of some great sin, not the sin or the parasite in the water, but what I think perhaps which harms us the most is whenever we drink from a well that wasn't meant for us. That it's not necessarily bad, but it's not good. And it only replenishes us about 80%, and then perhaps 70%. And then you hit 70% again, and you think that's your full capacity, that's your full rest. It's like when you were a kid, and you ate a ton of candy bars before dinner. Anyone ever do that? Anyone have a secret stash of candy? No? That's cool. Or you just ate a whole bunch of junk food before you came to the table, and it was your favorite meal, but you were so full of these candy bars that essentially all you did was nibble your food and move the food around your plate as if your mom or dad didn't know you weren't eating. See, what it is is when you eat this junk, it just kind of fills you for the moment. But we live in a society where we want instant gratification and instant results. And for Christians, I think we want instant results in our spiritual journey. It's almost as if we took one day off and spent it with the Lord and think, wow, God, why don't I feel better? Didn't I just spend all this time with you? I thought having a Sabbath would give me rest. Now I'm anxious. Anyone ever say these things to God? 
going back to Keller, he d- describes that people attempt to satisfy their thirst by pursuing almost everything other, every other sort of substitute. For their minds and intellects, they will pursue knowledge and science, academic careers, more reading, offbeat companions, but they are always left panting and dissatisfied. And a couple of sips from the true well is not an experience they welcome. So unmet expectations is the other one. So if we drink from dirty water, we take shortcuts. I think the other one is expectations. And I hinted on that just a moment ago. Come on, God, I spent all this time with you. I spent this day with you. Why don't I feel better? What's going on? These unmet expectations, because I, I truly believe at the very, very heart, I think us as humans, specifically us as followers of Christ, I think we can truly handle any crisis that comes our way. I truly do. As long as we don't set ourselves up by stating that God is going to do something other than what he said he was going to do. And when we set up these false expectations, I truly believe you can face any trouble, but I think more than half of the pain in that trouble comes from, a, from false expectations. And I'll explain that just briefly here. If you've come to Christ and expect that your life will be so much better and you will never have trouble, then when trouble comes, it's easy to blame God. As David was lying in in those caves hiding, his expectation wasn't he was always going to live in the stream. His expectation was that God was always going to be with him. And I'm not saying when you face troubles of any kind that it's just easy. I'm just saying as believers, we should be able to face them. Not That doesn't mean we're not going to cry. That doesn't mean we're not going to feel anger. We're not going to feel pain. We're not going to feel disappointment. But to have true peace is to look at the face of God and say, okay, God, what is it that you want for me? If he is leading us to this water, then we trust in the person, not our experience. There was one more picture of just a whole bunch of rocks. I think it was the second picture you showed. I just want to show that here real quick. So way off in the distance is the Dead Sea. And from the Dead Sea, which nothing can grow in, no animal can drink that water, when you get into it, it feels, I don't know how to describe it, but like salty jello. That's not even a great description. But in order to go to that great, beautiful stream that we just looked at, that still water, we have to walk through. Well, not anymore. They've created a corridor that you can walk. But we have to walk through that. And this is a great picture of vegetation, and that vegetation is actually poisonous to sheep. But yet the good shepherd during this time would have walked through past the Dead Sea, down this path or a path similar to it, passing all of the caves that you could see on your left side. And what happens is in our journey, we'll stop halfway and say, God, this is, what, this, is what peace, this is what you're leading me to. I thought that you were leading me to green meadows and still waters. All I see is poisonous stuff and rocks. And I should have taken the picture, but just on the opposite side, if you look down is where the stream is. So if we're considering these false expectations 
One of the worst false expectations we can have is to assume that God doesn't know where he's leading us. We may not say those words, but when we're in the throes of life, when, we're at, when we are facing the awful experience, we assume, or we can assume, God has either left, led us the wrong path, or we've done something so awful to upset God that this is what we get. I just want to close with considering this. Dallas Willard who's a great theologian. He taught philosophy and religion at USC. He died in 2012, 13. And I like him, not just because his name is Dallas, but that's pretty cool too. But he gives two descriptions of what, as he would call, lying down in green pastures and being led by the Spirit. The first one he, he talks about is dignity. The dignity of knowing Christ and finding our worth. And when he was asked, how do you describe dignity in this context? This is what he said. Dignity is worth that has no substitution. Dignity is worth that has no substitution. If something has dignity, you can't substitute it with something else. He would go on to explain most things have a price, which means most things can be substituted. And then to break up the tense feeling of these thoughts, he says, imagine this. You can substitute your money for a cheeseburger in America, but there are laws. You cannot substitute your money for a person. I can't buy a person. It is illegal because I can't substitute their dignity. That is why it is so important to stay connected with God, to continue to drink from the deep wells of still water that he offers because when you see your value in him, you feel that it is associated with your dignity. He bought it at a price. The inner being, the inner man, and the inner woman is that complete peace, not because of the water, but because of the shepherd. Willard goes on to explain in reality there's actually only one person who can substitute your dignity and it's you. So don't drink from dirty waters. And then he closed with this. He said, some people will die and be in heaven and they won't realize they are dead for a long time. He describes this whole scene and in one of the interviews that he's being interviewed, he describes it. He said, some people die and they will be in heaven and they won't even know they're dead. And the whole crowd starts laughing at him. The thing is, is he's two months away from dying because he has pancreatic cancer and he knows that his time here on earth is coming to an end. And after everyone realizes that he wasn't joking, he describes, I hope that I'm one of those people that when I take my last breath and I close my eyes for the last time, I think it's merely a blink and I'm in heaven. But I won't know I'm in heaven because I've always been used to seeing the face of the Father. That's peace. That's the peace that comes by being led even on the rocky terrain. That's the peace that David is describing here whenever he talks about the Lord is my shepherd. 
I have all that I need. He lets me rest in green meadows and he leads me by peaceful streams. Ultimately, he's leading us to him. And that's the hope. That's where peace comes from. That's the excitement of giving God your first fruits because it already belongs to him. That's what it looks like to be led by peaceful streams. I don't know about you, but that's what I want. I want whenever I leave this world or when God calls me home that I blink and I see Christ just as I saw him now. Not that it won't be radiant, but that, I've been, that I have been walking in step with the Lord. We're going to receive communion here. And I just invite you to prepare your hearts and just do a couple of reflections and, and think about it. You're welcome to receive communion uh, if you're a believer in Christ. But as you think about this, just, just ask yourself a couple of questions, just a couple of questions of application. What was the last thing you read from God's word that made you smile? What was the last thing you read from God's word that made you smile? If God's word is a checklist to you, you're not looking for a smile. The second one is, if you don't have peace, have you set up any false expectation of God that is against what he said? If you don't have any peace, have you set any false expectation of God? And finally, what does the face of God look like to you today on your path? Let's pray. God, thank you so much for this time, and thank you that not only do you not only are you so good enough to make us lie down or rest in green meadows or green pastures, Lord, but you are so faithful that you lead us to peaceful streams. And ultimately, as we have seen that King David wrote, you are leading us to you. There's no more satisfying well that we can come to and drink from unless it's from you. There's nothing more that can satisfy this thirst, just as you told the woman at the well in John 4. So Lord, let us not take shortcuts and drink from muddy water or water that's not meant for us. Let us be patient on our path. Let us drink from the dew that comes before the sun comes up. Thank you for being faithful, Lord. Thank you for being faithful and leading us even when we go astray. As we're reminded that you told us that we are all like sheep who have strayed away. But thank you that you leave the 99 for the one. Thank you for the reminder that we've all been that one. And Lord, I do pray for anyone in here who, is, who doesn't have peace, Lord. Or they know of this peace but would like to come back to it. Pray especially for anyone who doesn't know your son is Lord and Savior that today could be the day. Lord, thank you for the reminder that you don't just lead us, but many times you carry us through these trials. But ultimately, it's for our good and for your glory. So Lord, let us be at peace in the presence of you and you alone. We thank you and we love you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.